0: We here for church. Amen. I need the word. You need the word. All right, let's uh, let's pray over this message right now in the name of Jesus. Father, we praise you, we thank you, we glorify you today in the mighty name of Jesus. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and that it's active and that it's sharper than any double-edged sword. God, we need you to speak to us. We need you to change us. We need you to deliver us. Father, we pray today that you would use this word to change us, challenge us, and to convict us. Father, we pray that as we've come into this place that we wouldn't leave here the same way that we came in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. First Samuel chapter 19, starting verse 1. says, Now Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all of his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in David. So Jonathan told David, saying, My father, Saul seeks to kill you. Therefore, please be on your guard until morning and stay in a secret place and hide. And I will go out and stand beside my father and in the field where you are. And I will speak with my father about you. Then what I observe, I will tell you. Thus Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul his father and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant against David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his works have been very good towards you. For he took his life in his hands and killed the Philistine, and the Lord brought you about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced, and then, why then will you sin against innocent blood to kill David without a cause? So Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swore, As the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. Then Jonathan called David, and Jonathan told him all these things. So Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as in times past. And there was war again. And David went out and fought with the Philistines, and struck them with a mighty blow, and they fled from him. Now the distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul. And he sat in his house with a spear in his hand, and David was playing music with his hand. Then Saul sought to pin David to the wall with a spear, but he slipped away from Saul's presence, and he drove the spear into the wall. So David fled and escaped that night. Saul also sent messengers to David's house to watch him and to kill him in the morning. And uh, M- Michael, David's wife, told him saying, if you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you'll be killed. So Michael let David down through a window and he went and fled and escaped. And Michael took advan- took, excuse me, took an image and laid it in the bed and put a cover of goat's hair for his head and covered it with his clothes. So when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, he is sick. And Saul sent his messengers back to see David saying, bring him up to me in the bed that I might kill him. And when the messengers had come in, and there was an image in the bed with the cover of goat's hair for his head, then Saul said to Michael, Why have you deceived me like this, and sent my enemy away so that he has escaped? And Michael answered, Saul said, He said to me, Let me go. Why should I kill you? So David fled and escaped, and went to Samuel at Ramah, and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and, he and Samuel went and stayed in Naioth and... Now it was told Saul, saying, Take note, David is at Nioth in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David, and when they saw the group of prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as leader over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. And when Saul was told, he sent other messengers, and they prophesied likewise. Then Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they prophesied also. Then he also went to Ramah and came to this great well that is at Sichu. C- so he asked and said, Where are Samuel and David? And someone said, Indeed, there at Naoth and Ramah. And he went there to Naoth and Ramah. Then the Spirit of God was upon him also, and he went on and prophesied until he came to Naoth at Ramah. And he also stripped off his clothes and prophesied before Samuel in like manner, and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Therefore, they say, is Saul also among the prophets? Whew. Man, that's a story, isn't it? It's a story. It's an interesting story here. Uh, there, there's a, and for those of you that are just joining us, and, and it's hard when you show up at a church and you're like, who are these people and what are they talking about? Um, real quick learn for you here. God's chosen people are the nation of Israel. Saul is their current king in this story. This is thousands of years ago. There's another young man. His name is David. He's soon to be king. David ends up marrying, uh, Saul's daughter, Ma- Michael or Mikkel, however you want to say it. He ends up marrying her. And so, there's probably this story you've heard about called David and Goliath. David had killed Goliath, and so the reward was he gets the daughter. And Saul is the king, and he really doesn't like the fact that this other guy, David, is getting some street cred, that he's starting to like, get some some stuff out there. And so Saul's plan is, man, i got to kill this guy. It's his daughter's husband, and he set out to kill this guy. And now Jonathan is Saul's friend. And so he hears that his dad wants to kill his friend. And so he warns his dad, and he's like, Dad, come on, don't kill his son. And so uh, David agrees, or excuse me, Saul agrees, and he says, All right, I won't do it. But it doesn't last that long. And so then (laughs) David goes out to war. He starts winning with the Philistines. He becomes more popular. Saul tries to kill him again. And then his daughter gets involved and then his daughter ends up, uh, you know, hiding David from her dad because he doesn't want her to kill. And then her dad's like, what did you do? And he li- she lies to him and says, oh, he was going to kill me when he wasn't. And she sends him out the window to get him away from his dad. And so then Saul goes and he sends these hit men to go and kill uh, Saul sends these hitmen to go and kill David because that's the last plan. And then these hitmen end up with the prophet Samuel and then the spirit of God falls. So all the hitmen end up falling out in the spirit and start prophesying. And then Saul shows up. He falls out in the spirit. He starts prophesying. God humbles him. He's stripped naked. And there we are. So the... I, I, I don't think it's very much to ask our leaders to possess some basic human decency. Amen. Like, we, we just shouldn't, right? I mean, Saul's the leader of Israel. He should be a just a basic human being. And so, for, for us, it would be interesting if we had leaders that we could look at and say, like, man, can you have some basic human decency, uh, whether it's, you know, a boss or it's, a, a, a you know, a local leader, a national leader. We should have leaders that generate genuinely help people and live by some basic standards. You would expect that from the king of Israel, would you not? Now the problem comes in is when we hold these leaders to a standard that we don't hold ourselves to. It's very easy to look at a leader and say, why is it that you won't act this way, but you peel back the onion of your own life and you're acting just as despicable as the leader is acting. For us as people of God, we have got to hold ourselves to a higher standard than the world. Yeah. And if you're sitting here this morning, you're like, man, well, I don't even believe in your Jesus. I don't have to hold myself to that standard. I will invite you, my friend, to join us. Yeah. 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 I will invite you to leave your life behind and live the life for Jesus Christ because the truth is you cannot live a decent, upholding life without Jesus Christ. You can't do it. You can't do it on your own strength. The Bible says the heart is deceitfully wicked. And without Jesus Christ, your heart will stay deceitfully wicked. Saul is not being a good king here. He's not. He's actually being a bad king and a bad person. And so what we do is we're walking through. The Bible's got an Old Testament and a New Testament. We've been stuck in the Old Testament for a while. And so what we do is walk through these stories. And we say, God, what do you have for us from this story? And so we can look at the life of Saul and say, I won't be like that guy. Right? I mean, it's, it's a real easy thing. Look at the life of Saul and just like, don't do what he did and you're going to be okay. So today we're going to pick on Saul some. We're going to look at what he did wrong and then put the mirror back on our own lives and say, how can we not be like Saul? So title of today's message is how to be king, not because you're going to be a king, but because you're a priest in God's eyes. And so you should be at least at the minimum, be better than Saul. So first, first point I want to make is this, is that if you're going to be king, you have got to keep your word. You have got to keep your word. Saul did not keep his word to not kill David. It was lips service. Now if you've been reading uh, first Sam you've been with us it, this, this Saul not keeping his word starts all the way back in Goliath. Goliath, uh, the challenge that Saul put out to the nation of Israel was, was: somebody kill Goliath, you get my daughter, you get riches, you don't have to pay taxes. Uh, he didn't say, kill Goliath, you get my daughter, you don't have to pay taxes, you get riches, and then I'm going to kill you. And so now this point comes where the the things have changed, and Saul's like, you know, maybe I don't like this little runt, maybe I don't like what he's doing, and so I'm going to kill him. And, and Saul spoke to Jonathan and his son and to all the servants that he should kill David. That's what it says. He says, you know what, son? I know this guy's your friend, but I don't like him, and so I'm going to kill him. And so Jonathan, being the good friend to David, says to his dad, says, you know what, dad? I don't think you should kill David. He's a good guy. There's no reason why you should kill him at all. I love this guy. And Saul, sadly, does not listen to his son for an extended period of time. It says in verse 6, So Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swore, As the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. It's a great vow. But then verse 11, Saul also sent messengers to David's house to watch him and to kill him in the morning. He goes, verse six, don't kill him. Five verses later, you know what, man? Ah, let's send some messengers. We'll go down and kill David. Verse 15, then Saul sent the messengers back to see David saying, bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. His desire to kill him has gotten so like weak. He's like, I'm not even going to get out of bed to kill this guy. Like go get him, bring him to the bed and I'll throw my spear at him from my bed and kill him right there. Verse 20, then Saul sent messengers to take David. How do you go from, as the Lord lives, he shall not be killed, to sent the messengers, throw the spear, kill the guy, follow him up. This guy's supposed to be king, right? Shouldn't shouldn't he be a little bit more than Joe do nothing? Like he should have a little bit more this sense of like, I'm the king, I should conduct myself differently. Can't we expect, it's too much to expect that the king of Israel would be a man of his word? Is that too much? Is that too much of a stretch? The Bible says in uh, Numbers uh, chapter 30 verse 2, If a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. That's what it says. King Saul had the Pentateuch, he, he was, I mean, the Pentateuch first five books of the Bible, he had those, yeah. he knew, like at the minimum, this idea of being a person that is, stands by your word is, is not a development of the 20th century, this is an idea that's thousands and thousands of years old, basic human decency says that if you're going to, if you say you're going to do it, you should do it. Yeah. Saul knew that lying was a sin. He knew that making oaths was bad. Do you know that the Bible has, uh, in the Old Testament, very swift punishment for people that make a vow and do not keep it? It would be interesting if we lived in Old Testament times and someone made a vow and didn't keep it, and then we took him outside the camp and stoned them. Yeah. The kids would be like, hey, kids, do you see what happened to old brother Johnny? You don't keep your word. You get stoned. You get thrown out of the camp. It might be different. Saul should have known this. He's, ki- he's king of Israel. Sadly, position does not necessarily equal heart. Sadly, position does not necessarily equal heart. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 4 and 5, when you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. God takes no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better to not vow than to vow and not pay. And it's always amazing to me when people don't keep their word. They don't, they don't show up. They don't pay their debts. They don't follow up. They say they're going to be there and they aren't. They break their vows to others. That's right, yeah. One of the greatest lies that I see in my life in this church is people that will come to a church service and I'll meet them in the foyer and they'll be like, Pastor, this is a great service. You'll see us next week. Yeah one of the greatest lies that people say. And, they say. and they say it in the church. They say it in the church. It's lip service. Breaking vows to others. And, and I've learned now when people say it, it's funny, all these first-time visitors today are going to be like, man, I am not saying that to that guy. Man, note to self, don't say that in the foyer. Because after 16 years of being in the ministry, man, I'll shake their hand and look them in the eye. I said, are you lying to God in the church right now? Don't lie. Sadly enough, people still say it and they don't come back. Saul says, I won't kill David, and then shortly after, let me kill that guy. How can you trust a man that says, I won't kill him, then goes to killing him right away? See, uh, the the contrast here, and we've been talking about it between David and Saul, is that David actually is a man of his word. Psalm 116, uh, verse 14, uh, David says, I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all of his people. Go and read Psalms, seeing all the different vows that that David intended to keep and kept them before God because he knew it meant something. What does it mean to you? Are you any better than Saul? Are you someone who keeps your word? Can you be counted on? And then you ask that question. We like, yeah, I'm a person that keeps my word. Every single one of us has a friend that doesn't keep their word. And you know what we call them? Flakes. They say, oh, we invite so-and-so. And and people say, oh, man, they're a flake. Why are they a flake? Because they won't show up when they say they're going to show up. They don't do what they're going to say they're going to do. You invite them over for dinner. You're like, hey, man, can you come bring this? Like, oh, yeah, I'll be there and I'll bring this. And they show up with nothing late. And you've been waiting on them to start supper. Yeah. Flake. Okay. Do you guys know someone like that? Yeah. yeah. You know, whenever, whenever I start talking about keeping your word, the person I always like to use for, as an example is Pastor Jay. Dude, Pastor Jay, he keeps his word, man. He's a man of his word. Amen. Yeah. I, I've known Jay for over 30 years. Him and I have been friends since we were 10, 11 years old and, and, and our whole entire life, man. I can tell you, even from the time that we were kids, even before he was saved, when he was a vile sinner, he was still a man of his word. And, it's, and it's, it's interesting when you have friends that keep their word... It shines a light on your own inadequacies. Where you're like, "Dang it, man, I got to up my game." Yes. Jay, Jay's not the type of guy if you're like, "Hey, man, I need a, I need a help in this area. I need you to be here for this thing." He'll pull out his phone. He'll write it down. And man, if if, he, if, if Jay says he's going to do something, like he does it yeah. to a fault. Yeah. Like he'll hold you accountable to what you asked him to do after you changed your mind. Yeah. <laughs> like, man, I said, "No, no, no, we're going to do this. this. Is what we're going to do." And I, I, I literally could do a, I could just talk for a really long time about the the ways that Jay holds his word with God and everybody else, and it's the reason why he has a blessed life. Yeah. It's, a, I'd much rather use the example of a man that's sitting in the room, so that other men can say, like, what kind of man should I be? Just do what Jay does, man. Just yeah. keep your word, and watch what God does with your life. Watch and see what it does. Proverbs 20, verse 25 says, it's a snare for a man to devote rashly to something as holy and afterward to reconsider his vows. And that's what happens in America. That, that's human nature. What happens is that people will say things, and, and I think they maybe mean it at the moment, but what happens is, is they're, they're actually just trying to make themselves look good in front of other people. And so then what happens is they're like, oh, yes, Saturday, I'd love to. And then like the, the some Saturday morning, like, I don't know if I want to do that. Yeah. The Bible says that's bad to make a vow. And then when the time comes to reconsider it and be like, well, it probably doesn't matter if I don't show up. Yeah. Well, it probably doesn't matter if I don't do that. It probably doesn't matter if I keep my marriage vows. Like it's the Bible says that's bad. Yeah. The Bible says it's better to not even have made that vow as holy because thing if you're if you're a follower of jesus christ and your life is holding you stand before god you're an emissary of jesus christ on this earth yeah. Yeah. quit ruining the witness of christ by being a person that doesn't hold to their word yeah, quit telling things to people at work or in your community they know that you're a christian and being a flake is telling an unbelieving world that christians can't be trusted yeah. because you can't seem to hold your vows yeah. And I will tell you, man, it is, uh, it's hard to hold your vows. I'm not standing up here telling you it's easy. It's hard. Do you know how I know it's hard? Because I'm married. Yeah. 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 Married people. Can I get an amen, married people? Yeah. Crystal and I have been married for almost 21 years next month. 21 years next month. And I wish I could say that every day it was like, man, this is awesome. I, that's how she's felt, you know. <laughs> me, man. Like, dude, uh, the the first 10 years of our marriage were difficult. And I've told you guys many times, there's a few times when I just thought it'd be a whole lot better to just drive south on I-5, go to Mexico and rent surfboards. Like, just leave it all behind. I got amen. It's hard to keep your vows. You want to renegotiate your vows and be like, wow, did I really mean that when I said it? I've used this example before, but it, it just, it plays. And that's what I want to talk about is that, you know, I was in the army and I got orders to go to Egypt and I didn't want to go to Egypt. Why? Because my son was nine months old and I had to be gone for a year and live in the desert. And, and, and I remember in that moment when Crystal and I were walking through the process of like, all right, how do we get out of this? And, and I had some really solid plans. Like she was going to back over me with the car and break my legs. <laughs> and, uh, this is a real story. This is what guys do to get out of deployments. What you find out later is they put crutches on you and casts on you and put you on the plane. You still go. They don't care. We had the fat boy program. We had like four months. I was like, I can gain 50 pounds. They will kick me out. Nope. They put you on the plane and they make you run. And... Uh, <laughs> And what, what, I, what we finally came to the realization was is that uh, we knew that God had called us to the ministry, right? We knew this. I had a nine-month-old son. How, how could I be a man that now that my son is 18 years old and he's becoming a man and I'm teaching him about keeping vows and I'm teaching him about integrity and I'm teaching him how to keep his word? Due to my heart, I, I, I couldn't look him in the eyes. And today, say, like, oh, you got to be a man of your word. Why couldn't even keep a vow to my Uncle Sam? I raised my hand. I said, I'll go where you go and do what you say for six years. And so when the time came, my Uncle Sam says, you're going to go here. What am I going to do? I'm going to break my vows just because I'm going to be uncomfortable for a year? I'm going to miss out on a year of my life? If only to be able to stand before you today and say keeping your vows is important, and even more so to be able to say to my son, you need to be a man of your word. Keeping your word matters. The Bible says in Leviticus 5, 4, if a person swears speaking thoughtlessly with his lips to do evil or do good, whatever it is that a man may pronounce by an oath, and he is unaware of it, when he realizes it, then he should be guilty in any of these matters. Don't, don't speak thoughtlessly with your lips, man. You don't have much more than your word. It's all you have. And if you're not a person of your word, the people in your life are speaking against you, saying that you're not a person of your word. You don't, you, don't, you don't even have to be good at something, you just have to be good at keeping your word. Amen. It would have, would have been a whole lot easier if Saul would have just said, You know what, man? No, I'm making that vow. I'm going to kill that dude because he's making me look bad. Yeah. And so, well, you, why are you doing that? Because I'm king and I can kill whoever I want. Yeah, I feel it. But don't make a vow and say, I'm not going to kill him, and then go and do it. Yeah. Just be honest about it. Wouldn't, it. wouldn't it be easier if people were just a little bit more honest and be like, hey, man, you're going to show up? No, I am not. <laughs> Why? Because I don't want to help you move. Yeah. <laughs> Spending half a million dollars on a house, spend 5000 on a moving company, man. Yeah. My back can't handle it. Yeah. Yeah. Want to come to this thing Friday? No, I do not. <laughs> Why? Because it's boring. Yeah. <laughs> I just have no interest in that whatsoever. How much do I have to write a check for so I don't have to sit through the presentation? Just tell me. You know, as pastor of this church, I see people that take our membership class, take a vow before God and people, and then they just magically disappear. Just cast the wind. I'm like, wow, who are you making a vow to, man? Did you mean it before God when you did that? And it's just like, it's, it's rash. It's bad to do that. Yeah. I, and, I, and I'm just, I'm going to be frank with you guys. I, I really have a lack of, uh, it's not that I don't love them. It's not that I don't believe them, but I, I just have a lack of respect for someone yeah. that has difficulty keeping basic vows of their life. Yeah. Yeah. Just basic vows. Yeah. That, that's why when, when, when people are, are married and they break their marriage vows, I don't like it. Yeah. See, well, that's kind of rude, isn't it? Why? They, they can't seem to keep their vow? I'm not talking about making a mistake. I'm talking about walking in defiance completely yeah. away from it. Yeah. I don't know why people make vows to just break them. Yeah. Yeah. It's even when it comes to the church, man. People say, well, I'm going to serve the church. I'll show up at this time and I'll be here. And then they just don't show up. What yeah. why? Like, why, why would you say you're going to do Because people depend on you. People are depending on things to happen. And then... Yeah. And it's just a simple thing. Like, it's funny, serving in the church is pretty easy. All you got to do is show up. Someone will show you what you need to do. God keeps his word, doesn't he? It's funny, people people always expect God to keep his word. I know I haven't kept my my part of the deal, but God, I sure would like it if you keep your part of the deal. Lamentations 2.17, the Lord has done what he purposed. He has fulfilled his word. If God keeps his word, shouldn't we keep our word as well? Shouldn't we make our vows serious? Yeah. Vows only matter when it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, it's easy to keep a vow like, hey man, you want to go out for ice cream? I'm paying. Yes. <laughs> yes. I w- What what time? I will be there. Yeah. Hey, I got some money. Some extra money. I got to stop by. I want to give it to you. Are you going to be home? Yes. What time? What time? I'll be there. Yeah. Yeah. But when things get hard, that's when it's hard to keep your vows. And I'll tell you, man, I wish I could stand here and be like, oh, keeping your vows was easy. It's not. It's really hard. Sometimes the only thing that makes me keep my vows is God and his word, where I know that God is watching. I want to make him proud as his son. I want to make him proud. And so when God is watching, I will hold my word just so God himself will look down on me and say, do you want Matt? Good job. And I'm like, thank you. I I did it for you, God. And he goes, it's good. I just want you to continue to do that. Secondly, if you're going to be king, you've got to listen to the Holy Spirit. Saul did not listen to the Holy Spirit after repeatedly being told. Verse 20, then Saul sent messengers to take David and when he saw the group of prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as leader over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul and they also prophesied. And when Saul was told he sent the other messengers and they prophesied likewise, then Saul sent messengers again the third time and they prophesied also. The the same Spirit of of God in the New Testament is the same Spirit of God in the Old Testament. Jesus of the New Testament is Jesus of the Old Testament. They're all wrapped in together. And so what you see in this story is you see Saul going down to try to kill David and the Spirit of God is moving trying to stop it from happening. He sends down these messengers and the Spirit of prophecy comes on on these messengers. So Saul comes down to come down and check it out. And the Spirit of prophecy comes down upon him as well. It's the Spirit of God that's moving in that moment. And what's happening is the Spirit of God is trying to stop this, uh, this thing of happening of killing David. God is trying to do whatever he can do to stop Saul, and Saul is uh, is not picking up the details. God, God is doing everything that he can to stop Saul, and Saul is not realizing what's going on. I mean, notice what happens here. Three times Saul sends messengers, and three times they are overcome with the Spirit of God. Make make no mistake, folks. This part of the story is very, very spiritual. It's it's not to just be glazed over. They were trying to do something, and the Spirit of God was stopping them from doing it. And they didn't realize that that was happening, and they were trying to push forward to do it their own way. The Spirit of God came upon, the Scripture says. Folks, this is the Spirit of God moving to protect David and redirect Saul, but Saul refuses to realize it. Three times. Times God tries to stop Saul, Job thirty three fourteen and fifteen. For God may speak in one way or in another, yet man does not perceive it in a dream and a vision of the night when deep sleep falls upon men while slumbering on their beds. See what happens is that oftentimes God is moving through different ways and people do not perceive it. Yeah. God is God and if you've given your life to him and you've decided that you wanted to be a Christian, you handed your life to God and said, God, direct me and guide me and then he does that and he will stop things and he will open things and he will move in your life and oftentimes God is so desperately trying to get it through your head to not do something or to do something and people do not perceive it, they don't perceive it at all but I will tell you that God will use whatever means he needs to get you to do what he needs you to do who use anything read read numbers 22 when it talks about Balaam and his donkey and the angel god spoke through a donkey if you can believe that god can speak through a donkey can you believe that god can speak through a 6 foot 5 bald headed man on a sunday morning it's easy You're here this morning. The spirit of God is speaking directly to you and you refuse to listen, but it's God speaking to you. God didn't redirect my whole entire worthless life so that you would come down here and not listen to what he's trying to say to you. I'm not speaking to you. God is speaking to you. Saul had a chance to listen, but he chose not to. He kept moving forward, ignoring the voices, ignoring the voices. What does it mean to you? Do you listen to the Holy Spirit? Do you allow God to lead you? Really, really listen. Really allow him to lead you. And again, people ask me, say, Pastor, why do you preach so emphatically? Why? Because in the life of, the, of my ministry, I've seen so many people where I'm watching God speaking to them, and they keep moving towards this path of destruction. They're utterly and completely destroyed, and they come back on the other side. they like, man, how come nobody ever told me? I'm like, God was telling you for years to not go down that path of destruction. God brought people around you saying, don't do this. Don't be a part of that. You just chose not to listen first and foremost God will lead you by his word God said everything he ever wanted to say he was nice enough to write it down if you want to know what God speaks to your situation read your Bibles Go by what the Word says. We will always be a Word-centered church. We will not go against God's Word. Read the Word. Study the Word. Live by the Word. Why? Because God will never lead you away from His Word. Ever. Don't say, well, I heard from the Holy Spirit and it is contrary to God's Word. That's not how it works. The Spirit of God leads you towards the Word, not away from the Word. There was a guy that used to attend our church years ago, years, and by years I mean like over 10 years ago, and he came to me and he said, and he had, he had left the church, and then he came back to me because he had spoken to his pastor of his church and didn't get what he wanted, and so then he wanted to come to me, and he said, Pastor, I want to get married to this gal, and I said, Great. He said, where does she go to church? I said, oh, she doesn't go to church, Pastor. I said, oh, so she must have just recently gotten saved, and she's never been connected to the church. And he said, no, she's not a Christian at all. Okay, now I understand why you took me out to this nice lunch. Um, so why, why do you want to marry somebody who's, who's not a Christian? He said, man, you know, I've been praying about it and I've been asking God. And, and God told me, he said, man, marry her and she's going to get saved when you guys get married. And I was like, brother, man, I've been reading this Bible for a lot of years and I don't really see that in there at all. This sounds like a bad plan. It sounds like you're setting yourself up for failure. Yeah. Oh, pastor, you don't understand. Like the spirit spoke to me and he, he spiritualized it and all these different layers and the music said this and the sun went up and my heart went pitter patter. And, you know, she's so good looking and all these other things. And I told him flat out. I said, listen, man, I can't do this. I, I love you. and." Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go against what your pastor said, but I'm definitely not going to go against what the Word of God says. I'm not going to marry you at all. So he went out and he married this gal. And uh, they had a, a kid and... Um, you know did whatever I didn't hear from him for years until his wife started sending me nasty grams on Facebook and telling me that I had ruined her life and ruined her marriage and then he started sending me nasty grams saying that this is all your fault of what happened inside of our marriage I literally had never met her in my entire life I'd never even been in the room with these two people at once ever years later I became the 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 person that they were attacking for their life being destroyed. Destroyed. Their marriage fell apart. They got a divorce. There's custody battles and spiritual problems. I, I, I can't even get into the spiritual issues that started to befall both of these people. And I'm like, listen, bro, I told you. Yeah. 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 Like at the beginning, if you're starting a relationship with somebody who doesn't know your Jesus, um, who you're in love with, like break ways. Like there's no point to even begin the relationship. Like if, if your most important thing is hand gliding, don't get with someone who's not a hand glider. Yeah, right? You're going to be in the sky all by yourself. Yeah. <laughs> If Jesus is the most important thing in your life, you do not want to spend time with somebody who doesn't love Jesus. It will not end well. You are never going to convince me to hand glide. Some of y'all get that later on the way home. When I'm talking about listening to the Holy Spirit, I'm talking about the nuances of the Holy Spirit. Right? It's how God directs and moves when you're living a spiritual existence because, you know, there's things that you've got to listen to when it comes to God. Like, should I go there? Should I take this job? Should I move? Should I buy this? Should I say this? Should I wait to say this? Should I give this person this thing? Should I receive this thing? Like there's this spiritual existence that you live where you just have to listen to God. And it comes down to God's timing and God's everything. But again, it always lines up with his word those nuances. And that's, that's what's fun when you live a spiritual existence that God actually speaks to his people. It's a promise of scripture. John fourteen twenty six It says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I said to you. When you have the Holy Spirit, he will speak to you. He will guide you. Put, put your life in God's hands and see what he does with it. I know God. I know, the, I know the God that created this universe. I have a relationship with him. I know what his voice sounds like. I know what his spirit smells like. I know what it feels like to be in his presence. And so when things are not of God, I know it. People say, isn't that prideful? No, because there's hundreds of people at this church that feel the exact same way because they know God as well. Yeah. It's funny, when you spend time with somebody, you get to know them. You get to know them. John 8, 47, he who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. And if you're sitting here this morning, you're like, man, I I rarely hear from God. Well, if you never hear from God, it's probably because you're not saved. It's because you're not a Christian. God speaks to his own. All God is saying to the unbeliever is to repent and turn to Him. That's all He's saying. God doesn't want to tell you anything, show you anything. People are like God, show me a sign. There's a sign. It's the cross. It's the first thing God wants to speak to you is repent of your sins, turn towards Jesus, live life for Him. He's not going to. He's not going to tell you secret things if you can't respond to the main thing. If you're a Christian and you say, well, I'm a Christian. I don't hear from God. It's probably because you're rebellious. Yeah. God doesn't speak to people who won't listen. He spoke to you many times and you've, sp- you've gone against what he told you to do. And so now God is like, well, heck, here we are. Now you've got to repent from those things and come back to me. Why am I going to speak things to you and you're not going to be obedient to him? It's a waste of my spirit. It's a waste of my time. You probably don't hear from God because you're quick to speak and slow to listen. Yeah. Learn to shut up, and then you learn to hear from God more. Listen to God and his word. People say, man, I haven't heard from God. When's the last time you fasted and prayed for a few days and just got your face in his word? If you want to hear from God, open up the Bible and read it. And like, oh my gosh, I just heard from God. Right? I mean, you can just open up anywhere. Right? If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife, man, God's speaking to me. That's awesome. Praise the Lord. Yeah. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged, both well, Jews and Greeks, that well, they are all under understand, sin. Understand. God, I hear from you. God will speak to you by his word. Yes. Now, people always say, man, I want to hear from God. And this is what just bothers me about this loosey-goosey, the stuff that goes on in the church people people want to hear from God so they can elevate themselves spiritually when 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 god when God speaks to His children and if you 're really listening, do you know what he always says it 's less of you it 's about dying more it 's about giving more it 's about serving more it 's not about like oh you 're going to be elevated, nobody 's going to think you 're so awesome. Why would God elevate a person so that a person would see more awesome than God? You live a broken life, serving God, dying to self, and then people are like, "Man, there must be a God because nobody else can die to self except through the power of God." Here is the third point: if you want to be king, stay humble, yes. man. Stay humble. Yes. Be a person that's humble, yeah. and, it, and and it's interesting when you when you live a humble life that God can do something with it. Verse 24, and he also stripped off his clothes and prophesied before Samuel in like manner and laid down naked all that day and all that night. Therefore, they say, is Saul also among the prophets? See, this idea of laying down naked is, uh, is not a sense of nakedness. It's a sense of humbleness. What happened is that Saul had ended up in this uh, situation where he had to realize that he was wrong, right? He ends up in this prophesying service. And so then God makes him start to prophesy. The spirit of God comes upon him. And so what does God do? God, God rips his kingly garments off of him. He humbles him down to nothing. He's in his bedclothes. He's not naked because uh, that's just not how it was. That's not what the scriptures say. And so, this sense of humbleness is a sense where he realizes, like, man, I'm nothing without God. There's there's nothing that I can do without Him, and I've I've been wrong. I need to be humbled. The Bible says in Proverbs sixteen eighteen that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall and so God stripped Saul down to nothing, so that so that Saul would realize like Saul you're nothing without me. Don't think for a minute that you can try to kill my anointed. Don't think that you can live your life this way and I'm not going to humble you not at all. What's interesting if you stay humble you don't have to be humbled. Yeah. Think about this if God humbled His king will He not humble you? Yeah. If God humbled his king, will he not humble you? The Bible says in Proverbs 11:12, when pride comes, then comes shame, but with the humble is wisdom. And we see that word of God played out in Saul's life. We really do. We see we see that pride is a killer. Saul should have stayed humble. What does it mean to you? Are you humble? Are you humble? Like really humble? And it's, it's, it's really hard to discern that. And if you think like, man, am I humble or not humble? Ask five different people, uh, say like, hey man, am I humble or not? And say, I want an honest answer. I want you to tell me whether I'm humble or not. What, what do you post on social media? Like, are you trying to elevate yourself? Are you trying to elevate somebody else? What image are you crafting? What, what are you trying to convince other people to think about you? What about when you're in person? How do you, what do you try to convince people of? And, and the reason why I can speak about this so clearly is because I know that I have pride in my own heart. I, I don't stand here before you be like, I am the most humble man in the world. I'm not. Like, I've got deep-seated pride issues inside of me that I, they're better than they used to be, but they're not where they need to be. I care far too much about what people think about me. That's pride. I care far too much of crafting an image so people think things about me as a leader and as a husband and a father. That's pride. And I don't want to be prideful because the Bible has a lot of bad things to say about people that are prideful. It's easy to tell if you're prideful. Do you list your accomplishments to others? Constantly want to make the conversation about you? Do you think you're better than others? Do you think everything you have to say is better than other people? But most importantly, the, the, the largest source of your pride when your relationships with other people is can you admit that that, that you have faults and failures in your life? Yeah. Like in your relationship with people, can you admit like, man, I have got it wrong. I've done things wrong. Do you have the capacity to be able to do that? Yeah. And if you don't, then the chances are you're probably filled with pride. Yeah. Because if you didn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't try to uphold this image thinking that you're something that you're not. You would let people say like, you want, know man, this is just who I am. I'm a, I'm a broken sinner that needs a savior. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't lived my life right. I need God more than anybody else. Yeah. Proverbs 3, 34, surely he scorns the scornful, but he gives grace to the humble. I'm going to try to be as humble as possible before God. I'm going to be as humble as possible before other people. I want to make God seem big and make myself seem small. Philippians 2, 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, lest each esteem others better than himself. Matthew twenty three twelve. 12, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Folks, as a church, we need to be a place of humility. Man, we can't think we're better than anybody else. We can't ever get to a place where God can't bring in a broken person and we look at them and say like, man, you need to get your stuff together. You need to get your stuff together. This is a place where people can come and be humble before God, be repaired. And then once God restores us, we maintain that humility and keep him big. I'm worthless without God. I have nothing. I deserve nothing. I am nothing without him. Will you humble yourself today? Will you humble yourself and admit that you need God? Will you humble yourself and repent and turn to him? Will you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? For some of you, this might be your first day of humbling yourself, where you'd say, you know what, man? I need Jesus. I'm not living for, my, I'm not living for God. I'm living for myself. If Jesus returned today, I would go to hell, because I don't have Jesus in my life. I'm done living for myself. I want to live for Jesus. I want to be set free from my sins. I want to I leave that life of sin. I don't want to just get forgiveness for my sins. I want to turn away from my sins. I want to live a life for Christ. And if you make that decision today, the Holy Spirit will come into you. He will regenerate you. He will convert you and give you the power to live for Christ. You can't do it on your own. And if you've never made that decision before and you'd say, you know what, Pastor? I need to make that decision today for the very first time. I want you to raise your hand right now and say, yes, I want to give my heart to Jesus. Is there anybody that needs to do that for the very first time? Hand held high. Don't let this moment pass. Don't let pride be the reason why you won't give your life to Jesus. Now for the rest of us, there's always something, man. There's an area of your life where you need to be humbled. There's an area of your heart that needs to be changed. Maybe you don't keep your vows or maybe you don't listen to the Holy Spirit or maybe you just need to be humbled. God will do it. Just ask him to do it. Father, we submit to your lordship this morning, God. We submit to your grace. We submit to your mercy. We give our lives to you in Jesus' name. Amen.